Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the Book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. Welcome to the Rock Community Church. It is so good to see you and it is so nice of you to come and worship with us. Uh, Jeff Alward's in the back. Jeff has been going through a bout of, uh, of different kind of uh, um, physical ailments. And Jeff, it's so good to see you. He's, they gave, gave him a release from the hospital, I guess, for a while to be here with him. <laughs> he snuck out. But uh, we love you so much, Carla. Love you both so much. Um, love all of you so much. It's uh, hard to put into words. I hardly get a chance to open up my Bible and read that I don't think about about you, about us, our church, and about what God is doing and, and just uh, express to Him what He already knows. And that's how much I love you folks. You know, today we're going to have a, a service that's kind of shortened a little, only because at the end we're going to have communion. And um, I think you're going to see how it'll fit with where we're at in Scripture. Number one, I got convicted... Every time I was telling you, you know, this is what the church established itself upon, I, I would tell you. You know, out of, uh, out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to communion, and to prayer. And, and every time I would say communion, I'd, I'd say almost to myself, well, let's have it, you know. And, then, and finally, I got a few emails saying, would it be, be kind of you if you, we could have communion? And I thought, you know... Amen. I, I can't believe that I was putting it off. I, I want to tell you my intentions were pure. I, it's just, um, um, there's so many things going on here to have an extra, um, have the ushers do an extra thing and have us prepare for communion sometimes um, is a little difficulty. And that was my excuse, but it wasn't a very valid one because anyone and everyone I asked said, oh, let's do it. It's fine. And so it was my, my complete fault. But what I'm, what I'm saying, I guess, to you is if you have anything that you want us to do, please ask. It's, it's our church. It's not anyone's church. It's ours. And, in, and, it's, and it's to, uh, to, have, uh, to serve every one of us in some way, somehow. So today we're going to have communion. What we did last night as I was driving uh, to, the, to the church, um, I was telling Kay, uh, my wife, what kind of basically what, what I was studying through and what the message is going to be about. And I said, you know, we're going to have communion. And I'd love to have communion in a different, just a way that kind of touches everyone's heart if possible. And, and it dawned on me in this place in Scripture, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. As you know, what they've been going through, um, the disciples, um, is, is a, a, a start of their persecution, a start of the intimidation not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ, nor to teach what he has been teaching before he was crucified. And, and you remember what Peter and John said, and I think it was verse 19 of chapter 4. Look, they said basically, let me paraphrase it, but they said basically, if it's, if it's right in your eyes that we shouldn't do this, that's between you and God. But for us, what God has shown us, what God has demonstrated to us, we cannot stop teaching. We cannot stop speaking. And so they commanded them. They, they, they said, you, we order you, do not speak in his name anymore. And so the intimidation has started. But if you'll note, in verse 23, I think it is, we're going to read it in a second. 
When they were released, they immediately went back, it says, to their companions, at least in the New American Standard. They got together with the family, the family of God, and they encouraged one another. And as you'll note, as it says there, they were all in one accord. They were all in one accord. And they were praising God together. And so I mentioned to Kay, I thought... To have communion, wouldn't it be a nice thing if we could just just kind of sit here and, and each person, depending upon as God would move you, to just make a sentence, a prayer. Maybe, Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for my mom and my dad. Or, Lord, I thank you for my kids. Or, Lord, help us through this trial. Say, for instance, it would be Jeff and Carla. Whatever you have on your heart, just say. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, just speak up if you can. But even if that, if you, if you feel intimidated to do that, don't. What I want it to be is friendly for every one of us here. I don't want any of you to feel that you have to say something because we probably wouldn't have time for everyone anyways. But when I sense that we're through, we will have already passed out communion. We'll already hold the bread and the, and the, and the juice or the wine. You'll already be holding that. As soon as I sense that we're through with that, then I'll lead us in communion. And then we'll take the bread and the, and the, uh, the juice together, um, as you'll see, as we close it all up. I want to make one announcement, though, before I read into Scripture. And that is, gentlemen, men, this Tuesday, Tuesday the 11th, at 6 o'clock here at this church, we're having a, a barbecue, and we're going to have an introduction to the the new book that we'll be studying in uh, what we call MOB, M-O-B, Men of the Bible. And we will be having uh, an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And we'll have a barbecue. And, uh, and we'll try to encourage those of you that are not in a small group yet to get in a small group. You're going to see from today's message that it is critical that we do. But I understand the intimidation. I understand all of that goes around that maybe you don't want to be in it uh, yet. I don't want you to feel forced, but I'm begging you to come and eat with us. No, no, no. I'm begging you to come and eat with us because you're not going to get this kind of food at home. Your wife probably is not going to cook like this. It's going to be grease on grease on grease. And somewhere in there is going to be some kielbasa and some hamburgers and hot dogs. We're going to have a time. And we're going to eat like, like we ought to eat. Go home just burping, you know. <laughs> we're going to have a great time. So even if you're not going to be a part of a small group, come. We'd love to have all the men together and just kind of uh, just be able to say thank you to the guys here in this church. And, and also, yes, the agenda is to encourage you to get into a small group because we believe it's for your benefit. We believe it's for the benefit for your family. Um, if you're married, it'll be the benefit for your wife. If you're not married, it'll be benefit for those that you hang around with, where you work or where you play. It, it'll be to your benefit. So I, I make no excuses about that. But one thing I do um, here at this church is, if you'll know me for any length of time, is I try not to coerce or force anyone into something they're not ready to do. Uh, I don't think that's the way the Lord would do it. Um, I think His timing is the perfect timing for you, as it is for all of us. And so I do beg of you to come, because you're going to have a great meal. <laughs> we'll have some good times, and we'll have some wonderful fellowship. So it's... This Tuesday, two more days, Monday, Tuesday the 11th, 6 o'clock, here in the multi-purpose room, we're going to kick off 
small groups of mob. So gentlemen, please come now. Please turn with me in your Bibles to a very amazing place in the Word of God. Amazing in, in very subtle ways. As we'll study through it, you'll see. There'll be some things I, I bet you that we'll, the Lord will mention to us that um, hadn't occurred to you. Watch. Verse 23 to verse 31. <clears throat> when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant did say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stands, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, we see a, a visual display of God in their midst. I prayed last night. I prayed this morning. I'll pray again. If the Lord wants to shake this place, wouldn't that be neat? Now, He didn't the other two, but who knows? Maybe He will. But what I do pray is that you and I sense the very understanding of God and be uh, a sense of being filled with the Spirit and having a boldness and a confidence to go through whatever it is that the Lord God is allowing you at this point in time to go through. Did I already pray? No, I just read. Let me pray. Let me pray. Dear Father, please move me aside. Please, Father, allow us to sense your presence amongst us. If it be your desire to shake this place or to have a visible sign, Father, so be it. But... Truly, we don't need that, Father. Um, that was an evidence of who you were there because they didn't have your word. What we have is your word, and that's, that's evidence enough for us, Father. And what I do pray is that you would fill each of us with your spirit so that we might not only speak the word of God with boldness, but we would have the confidence to go through whatever it is that we are going through at this point in time. From Jeff... And his dear wife, um, Father, that, uh, that they might have the, just your hand upon them for Carla. And, then, and that, Father, you would, uh, you would move in every one of our lives here in this, this place. There's, there's certainly certain things that each of us are going through that we need your assistance. But, Father, may we ask that you, we be a blessing to you. I pray that in Jesus' precious name. 
Amen. Well, here's what's taken place. You already know. They've been ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, nor to teach in his name anymore. And that threat is real. This is not just a passing threat. This is a very real threat of persecution against them. It was only six weeks earlier that they crucified Jesus Christ. And they, they mean the apostles and those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, everyone saw it. And it was a terrible scene. It was not like most uh, pictures and and examples given about uh, how Jesus Christ was beaten. It was more like, if you happen to have seen the movie, The Passions of the Christ. It was like that. Scripture allows us to realize that that, that our, our Lord and our Savior was beaten beyond recognition. And His blood was shed at that time for us. He was scourged to the point of exhaustion, to the point of death just from the beating that He experienced. And so this intimidation that, that is being presented to the now followers of Jesus Christ is real. And as you noted, hopefully, when we read through verses 23 to 31, they gathered together and they prayed, but they did not pray for the persecution to end. They did not pray for easier times to come upon them. What they asked of God purely and simply was to continue to proclaim with boldness and with confidence the Word of God. Look at verse 29 again. Now, Lord, they say, take note of their threats. No, we don't want you to just leave us out here alone. Take note of their threats. But here's what they asked for. Grant us, grant us your bondservants that we may speak your word with all confidence. They didn't run and hide from the threats. On second thought, let me do say this. They did run, but what they ran to was to God. They ran to Him so as to remind themselves who is the one whom they have fallen in love with. Look with me, please. What a great place in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4. Would you look with me? Hold your place here. They ran to God asking Him... To please, Hebrews, by the way, is to the right. If you go to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, turn to the left, you will pass Third, uh, Second, First John, Second, and First Peter. Um, I think then James and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter four. They ran to God and they reminded them of His strength. They reminded themselves of how He will help, how He will assist in their time of need. I want to read a couple more verses than this up on the wall. Look at verse 12 of, of Hebrews 4. It says, The Word of God is alive. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. It is able, the Word of God, to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It says in verse 13, There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open, all things are laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. When we have communion in a little while, there is absolutely no reason for you and I, if we examine ourselves, to hide things from God. 
We can't. He already knows all the, the dirty laundry that you and I have. It is best that we just reveal it to him on our own accord so that he might cleanse us from all of that. The Bible is clear. It says in, in, in verse 13 here, there's nothing hidden from his sight. Everything is laid open. Everything is bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. But, verse 14, since then, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he is without sin. So he recognizes and realizes that you and I go through difficulties. And we fall short. He recognizes that. He knows it. And yet he still loves you and me. He still wants to forgive us. Now the point that I wanted to make about where they ran to is in verse 16. Let us therefore, verse 16, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, that we may find grace to help in time of need. That's where they ran. They didn't run away from their problems. They ran to God. They didn't pray for the persecutions to cease. They only prayed for courage to go through it with the power and the boldness that comes from God to share Christ in the midst of a society that asked them not to do that. Not asked them, commanded them not to do that. And look where they ran. Turn back to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 23. I tried to make emphasis of it when I read it the first time. They ran to one another. They ran for help as soon as they were released. They went to, it says in verse 23, their own companions. Folks, that is why you and I are so necessary for one another. We need one another. We need to be companions. We need to be encouragers of one another. Whatever it is that we might be going through so as to find support and help upon that time of need. The fellowship of the body of Christ is a comfort. It ought to be a place of comfort. And so when the people gathered together... Their reaction was absolutely marvelous. Look at verse 24. When they had heard this, in other words, when, when their companions heard what they had been through and what they were ordered to do, it says they lifted their voices to God with one accord. They were all in agreement. And they said, O oh Lord, it is You. You made the heavens. You made the earth. You made the sea. You made all that is in them. I want to turn us now to one of my favorite of all places, upon a prayer. And you'll know, if you study at all, anything about when people pray to God, it's always reminding themselves of His majesty. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you go into the Old Testament, where the Chronicles is, and you get to the middle of the Old Testament, that's Psalms, now turn more to your left. You'll go from... The book of Psalms, uh, you'll go past um, uh, the book of Job, I think it is, right after that, isn't it? After Psalms, oh my gosh, i got to turn and flip and see for my own stuff. Yep, it's Job. And then after Job, uh, there's um, Esther, and then Nehemiah, and then slow down, because then there's uh, 
Ezra, then you'll see 2 Chronicles, and stop at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In 1 Chronicles 29, um, now here's the deal. <clears throat> this prayer that David is about to make was over the completion of the temple. But I want you to know more than, than what it's about is what his prayer reflects. This is not a time to ask you for money. It's not. But it is a time for you and I to reflect upon all that God has given to us and how we are to give back to Him. And it is a prayer that, that notes exactly what took place in Acts. It is a prayer that speaks of the majesty of their God. Now watch. King David starts his prayer in verse 10. It says, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He starts by that. Reminding the people that he is our God forever and ever. He goes on to say in verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, David says, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, you are dominion, O Lord. You exalt yourself as head over all. That is exactly what is taking place in the book of Acts. They are, with one accord, reminding themselves that God is the majesty. He is the glory. He is the one who has done everything. They go on to say, verse 12, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand is power and might. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. It is God who has given you whatever it is that you have to use for His glory. Whatever it is, whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever it is that you have been given, God has given it to you for a reason. Look what for. Look, it says in verse 13, Now therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. Verse 14 is one of the great, in my opinion, one of my favorite verses, one of the great verses in the Bible. Because David says in verse 14, well, look, let's read. He says, who am I? And who are the people? Who are my people? In other words, who are the people within our congregation? David is saying, who are we, O God? That we should, verse 14, that we should be able to offer as generously as this. Because, he says, all things come from you, and from your hand we have given back to you. That's the principle that I've always taught about, yes, giving, but anything else. Again, this is no plea for money. This is just a plea for you and me to understand what is going on in the lives of these people who have been persecuted and have been intimidated so as to stop proclaiming the Word of God. What David just said is, who are we? Who are we as a people that we could offer to you as generously as we have? Because, he says, 
From your hand, O God, you have given to us. And we take a portion of that and we give back to you. And so begins the very cycle and circle of giving within your heart for whatever it is that God has given you. Whether it be finances or talent or or abilities or whatever, God has, the moment you've come to Christ, given you a gift, say for instance, which He has. He has given you a spiritual gift. He has given that to you so that you would give back to Him a portion of that. The portion that you give is dependent upon what you feel you can do, the time you have, the talents you feel you have, and the inabilities that you maybe think that you have. He gives to you so that you take a portion, you take some of that, and you give back to Him. And so it goes. And you'll never really understand the magnitude of the blessings that you'll receive until you start that circle of giving. Again, guys, that's why I beg of you to come Tuesday night. Come, if it's just for the meal. Come and give back a portion to God that He has given to you. It goes on to say, watch. He says in verse 15, we're just sojourners. In other words, we're just passing through. Just as our fathers were, he said. Our days on this earth are like a shadow. He said, there's, there's no hope. In other words, we can't add to that time that we have. There's, there is just a passing that we have here. It's like a shadow. And we can't add to it, nor can we take away from it. And then he goes and says, O Lord our God, verse 16, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand. It's all yours. And so, folks, what is taking place in Acts chapter 4 is basically that. Like David, the apostles and those who have formulated a church now after the day of Pentecost have immediately reminded themselves of the majesty of their God, calling Him Lord, meaning absolute power, master of all. Faced with an opposition that is real, they took comfort in God's sovereignty, as it says in verse 24, believing that their sufferings were a part of His will, believing that He is the Creator of all things, and that he would therefore be in complete control of all the events that took place, even the ones that they are going through. And so they didn't ask for help of the persecution. They asked for the strength to go through it. I wrote down in my notes here, for you as well as for me. Can we believe that? Can we believe He is our majestic God who is in control of all things? And can we believe that He is even in control of what you and I are going through right now, whether it be something monumentally difficult or something wonderful, that He has given it to you because He feels He can trust you with whatever it is. This reminder of who He is, in every prayer that you'll ever note any godly person give, gave these people in the first century church the confidence and the truth of His being their God 
that became their strength to go through whatever it is that they were going through. If you'll note from verses 25 and 26, note where their strength came from. Listen, it's the very thing that we've been teaching week in and week out. Forgive me, I stuttered on that. It is the very thing that we talk about all the time. Their strength came from quoting Scripture. They are now, in verses 25 and 26, quoting out of Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. They are quoting what David said would take place. They are quoting from Scripture. God's Word reminds them, through King David, Psalms 2, 1 and 2, that the battle that they are going through is not theirs, really. It is the Lord's. They are, the enemy is not fighting against them. He is still fighting against the Lord. Look what it says, verse 25. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? Gentiles, of course, is Gentile. The people, of course, is the nation of Israel. Then it says in verse 26, The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ, namely the Anointed One, namely the Messiah. What they saw themselves as, as David proclaimed, they saw themselves privileged to be in a battle that was against their God, knowing that their God would see them through. All they wanted was the courage and the boldness to do it, to go through it. Verses 20 and 20, 27 and 28 state that God already knew what was going to take place. It was, it says, predestined. In verse 28, the word predestined in Greek, P-R-O-O-Z-I-Z-O. Oh no, P-R-O-O-R-I-Z-O. It means to determine beforehand. While it seemed that Satan now had a, 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 a foothold, so to speak, and, and got the upper hand when they crucified Jesus. In reality, they're saying that everything occurred according to the very eternal will and eternal plan of God. He predestined it. With verse 28, they declare that God is Lord. They declare that He rules history. He fulfills His, His purpose through what has taken place in your life and in my life. And he, they proclaim that what he, His will determines, His power will fulfill in, through, in and through you and me. They're saying there's no army. They're saying there's no government. They're saying there's nobody, no person, whether it be Jew or Gentile, whether it be a ruler or a king. There is no council. There is no one, they say, who can stand in God's way. And this, I'm sure, gave them peace, knowing and realizing that He, He is on their side. So in fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalms 2, that the kings and rulers would gather together against the Lord, verse 27 mentions, Herod, he was appointed by Roman rule to be over Galilee. Pontius Pilate, he was appointed by, by the Roman government, by the Roman um, law of the land to be governor over Judea. Both of them, Herod as well as Pontius Pilate, both bowed to the pressure of the Gentiles, the Jews, and the religious leaders, all of whom gathered together to crucify God's 
Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But of course, as verse 28 reminds us, God was fully aware. None of it caught him off guard. It was all done according to his will. His predetermined plan. Peter told us as much. Told them as much in his first message. Look back at chapter 2, just for a second. Just a short refresher. Look at verse 23. Peter says, this man, talking about Jesus Christ, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross. When he said you, we've already taught. He was talking to the Jewish people there. You nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men meant the Gentiles. And you put him to death. But it already was known. It was a predetermined plan of God. It was foreknowledge. It was already known by God. So back in chapter 4, verses 29, 30, and 31, what they ask of God is that He would allow them to continue to serve Him. They say, by speaking forth Your Word with all confidence, they say, but take note of their threats. In other words, don't leave us alone out here. Take note of their threats. They don't ask for protection. They don't ask for a place to hide. What they ask for is courage, boldness, to go through what they've been called to go through. The very thing that they have been ordered not to do, do not proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. They want the courage to do it because they would rather follow God than what man has to say. And so what they ask for in verse 30 is a a display of His power to confirm His message to them. They say in verse 30, Extend your hand, God. Heal. Perform signs and, and wonders. And God didn't delay. It says in verse 31, When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. As on the day of Pentecost, there was a physical sign of the Spirit's presence among them. God shook the place and granted them the fullness of the Spirit for the boldness that they desired. So as to proclaim the Word of God in the midst of persecution. What has taken place here, as we just read through this place in Scripture, is perhaps one of the most miraculous of places as far as the church is concerned. It is the very initial uh, trial of persecution that came upon the church. And it came upon it in full force. And it's going to continue to come upon it in full force. And what we're going to see is what we see over and over again. The church successfully faced this trial. And instead of compromising, instead of, well, maybe we shouldn't speak too much about Jesus for a while. Let's, let's go underground for a while. We'll kind of uh, let this pass over. We'll, we'll not preach as much as we should, and we'll kind of cave in to the pressure. No, they didn't do that. They became even bolder. That's a reoccurring theme within Scripture of what the church is like. When true believers are, are, are brought upon a, a problem, a, a persecution, a trial, Opposition only has a tendency to make us stronger and to allow the church to grow deeper, more mature. 
So what they did was they received a renewed courage to go out and preach God's message with confidence and boldness. I wrote down some thoughts. Gentlemen, if you want to get up and get ready to serve as communion, we, 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 we would love that, please. I asked the question that I want to ask you of myself. When's the last time that I ran to God and reminded myself of His majesty, of His power, of His strength, of His care for me? But I wrote down also, when I went... Did I go alone? Or did I take along some believing companions with me? Small group. You and I will go through difficulties. We need to have people around us that we know and trust, and they know and trust us, that we can kind of ask them to pray for us. Maybe we're going through difficulties. Maybe not. Maybe things are going great. And you want to say, you know, you know I've always contended... That, that in your faith, in our faith, I've always contended that it's not the difficult times that, that kind of remind you of God. That's kind of a slam dunk. You, you just turn to Him because you're going through so much difficulty. I've always contended the times when, when people slip away from the Lord a little bit is when things are going really well. You feel you got it made. Everything's cool. I'll just, I'll just miss church a little bit. I'll, I won't get involved a little bit. I'm, everything's going well for me. It's good to have a group of people around you who can look you in the eye and say, you know, we've noticed you've missed a couple times. You've missed... A, you know, when the church gets to be about this size, it's hard to know who's here and who's not. By the way, if I'm out there and it's late and the church has already begun, please don't apologize that you're late. There's no such thing as late. There's no such thing, in my opinion, as late. You're just here. You're here or you're not. But, you know, when you get to this size, sometimes we don't, we don't know if you're not here. You guys can start passing out. Is that all right? Just start passing out. May I have one as well? Please? Thank you so much. John, thank you. I love you. And so, small groups have a tendency to keep you and me accountable. Small groups have a tendency to, to allow us to, you know, see how you're doing. And, and, you know, you get into a small group and, and you get here and you say, everything's great, you know, everything's good. But you get with your guys that know you or the, uh, the women that you hang with or you're having a study with and they know something's not right. You might fool the, the, the large crowd, but you can't fool people in the small group very long. There's a, a great health about having companions alongside with you when you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, whether it be wonderful or maybe not so wonderful. The last thing I want to remind you of is before we start to just have these sentence prayers and we can dim light. Oh, well, let's wait till we get through with maybe with the passing out the communion. The last thing I want to remind you is just uh, when you go to the Lord, do you go to Him and just remind yourself of how great He is? Or are you like me? You go there and say, start saying, gimme, 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 gimme. Oh, yeah, I like you. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, you'll note that they don't do that. When they go to God, they remind themselves of who He is and how He loves them. And so, when we pray if, here in a moment, just just sentence, you know, just statements if you want to. Don't feel obliged to do it. And for some of you, here's the problem we've had. And if you can help us with this, you know, suggestion. 
please do. Um, we can't hear everybody. Like some of you will speak pretty softly, or you're, you'll be up front, you know, and people behind won't be able to hear. So um, what I decided was, well, the most important person to hear is the Lord, you know. Um, so if we can deal with that, we we will. But I don't want to pass around a mic. I, I don't want to. I want it to be spontaneous. I just want it to be from your heart unto the Lord, not to impress anyone or anything like that. So we're almost through with passing it out. As soon as we do, they'll dim the lights and we'll be quiet. When I sense that kind of we're over with or we're getting near where we should quit, you know, uh, quit. We should, you know, dismiss. <laughs> I don't know what the word, quit. And we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll close this in prayer. When we take communion, we'll just, we'll just take it together. You'll see. Let's, let's uh, just go before the Lord a little bit.